So today, today we finish our sermon series on God Sees You, um, which, which um, we, we kind of cover this entire series talking about the life of Jonah, um, a, a story that many of us, is, if we grew up in the church, we, we kind of are, are very familiar with, um, knowing that Jonah was, was a story that, that in kids' ministry has been a, a very popular one with the fish and the, the, you know, all the things that happened there. And last week, we, we sort of dissected that prayer on chapter 2, uh, where, we, where we find Jonah inside the belly of the fish, um, not the beast. Um, and, and got to the end of chapter 2, and the prayer ends with Jonah sort of remembering all the things that God had done, him worshiping God for those things that had been done, and God hears his prayer and, 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 and causes the fish to spit him out on that beach. Now, God called out to Jonah and gave him this second chance to go and deliver this message to the people of Nineveh, to go out and warn them of this coming judgment if they didn't turn from their wicked ways. It was going to be his responsibility to sort of deliver this message whether the Ninevites accepted the message or not. A direct call from God, not bound by outcome. One that was specific and direct from God for a particular purpose, for a particular people. Similar to the call that we all get as pastors and, and people of God in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, the Bible says it proclaims that we should proclaim the whole counsel of God. Meaning that we speak this word in truth, not taking bits and pieces of it out of God's word and put it into a specific content that is specific to the group. No, it tells us to go out and preach this word that everyone needs. We don't, we're not called to bend the truth, to adapt it to people. No, it is something that you and I are called to do. Specifically, not adapting it to culture, speaking the truth as it is, as it is written. Believing that this word has the power to change people from the inside out. Would you agree? We, 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 God is not going to rewrite the Bible for your generation. So we should stop trying to change scripture because it is meant to change you. Right? Whether the message is a message of promise, whether the message is a message of warning, mercy, wrath, forgiveness, and judgment is must be told as given in ways that can help others understand that same truth. The Bible says that Jesus was full of love and full of truth. Amen? He created the perfect balance between those two things. In the long run, we would understand that although this may affect how others see us, it's not about what others say about us. It's really about ultimately what God ends up saying about us. For example, I don't want to correct my child as a dad. I don't want to be that guy. When Rosie says, hey, Moises, come get Sebastian, I'm not like, woo, I'm up. It's a difficult thing. And five-year-olds, turn to, they tend to say some hurtful things. Like, you are mean, Dad. I don't like you. <laughs> and I go away crying like, oh, you know. But if it's time for me to discipline my boy because he's misbehaving, that is my role. The same is true for our father. 
He is going to take whatever means necessary to get us aligned with what we have to do, with, with the preaching and our calling and what we're called to do. We're called to proclaim this truth. It may not always be an easy job. I mean, you see Emily, that looks like the scene of a movie. She's like in some room like, okay, guys, I'm whispering. It's the truth. You know, it's happening all around the world. But what we see is we see God giving Jonah a second chance. And we're going to be going through chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Jonah. I have the scripture up on the screen, and we're going to start to read verses 1 to 10 of chapter 3. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declare a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap as well, and sat on, the heap of, on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the whole city, the entire city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened them with. Wow. Amazing, right? This guy, his prophet, walks in, yields a statement of, of, of judgment, and the people said, say no more. We'll turn from our ways. Instantly happened, right away. 120,000 people live in the city of Nineveh. But what's impressive is to me is how God's word has such a radical impact on the people of the city. They accepted the message with no resistance, truly believing that they were doomed unless they turned to God for mercy. They not only acknowledged it with their words, but they actually took it upon themselves to show God with their actions. You see them going to a fast to begin to pray, put on burlap to express their sorrows, right? There's so much to learn here. Their receptiveness of the message of God. They had 40 days, the Bible says. It says that Jonah walked in and said, you got 40 days to get yourself straightened out. But as soon as the message is heard, they turn their ways. This was so impressive that, that even Jesus himself uses the example of the people of Nineveh to say that they will stand on judgment against his own people of Israel because of how quickly they turn away from their ways. Listen to what Matthew chapter 12, verse 41 says. It says, the people of Nineveh will stand up against the generation on judgment the day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. That's amazing. The impact of their, um, how they uh, repented 
and walked away from their evil ways instantly after hearing the message, it's so impactful that Jesus himself uses it as an example to address his own people, his chosen people, the people of Israel. How amazing that 120,000 people, their decision caused this ripple effect to the point where they become an example of what repentance looks like. Wow. Here we see a group of people change in an instant, unlike Israel who's gone through a process of, of, of one opportunity after the next, after the next. No, these people, you know, get it quickly. Leads me to a question this morning, which one are we? Which one are we? Are we, are we, Israel, are we Nineveh or are we Israel? If I were to ask you that question outside of this context, you would have been like, we're Israel, man. Those people in Nineveh were crazy. Right? If God had a message for you this morning that may go against your preference or what you're currently doing, how willing are you to receive it? How willing are you to be receptive towards that message? One thing I know, and I, you know, the older you get, the more you grow in relationship with God. And, and I, I tend to be more, more open to blindly complying to whatever God wants from me. I realize how many mistakes I make in my life how, how unworthy I am, as Brian was referring to, and I realize that I need to rely on a perfect, true God that knows what's best for me, even that I know for myself. Don't get me wrong, I'm sometimes very stubborn. <laughs> sometimes. I mean, no. In my own ways, it's harder for me to comply sometimes with God. And I think that sometimes it's not necessarily that we don't want to follow God, is that we want to follow God, but we want to do it and do his will without his help. We want to somehow figure out life without the one who gave it to us in the first place. And then we, we're, we're so good at judging other people about their actions, and we look at other people and judge them for their actions and for what they do and don't do. But we somehow tend to judge ourselves on just intentions. You ever met that person that never wanted to, wasn't really trying to? didn't really intend to. We tend to judge ourselves on intentions constantly. We say to ourselves, I wasn't really trying to do that. My intent wasn't to hurt your feelings. I wasn't, and little by little, we find ways to wearily justify our disobedience for God by adding these things. Yeah, I told you, you know, that, that, that even excuses, even the good ones don't, don't get the results you want. I think this is so crucial for us to understand this morning because God may be wanting to deliver a breakthrough in your life and our lack of compliance causes us to experience massive delays in that breakthrough, which ultimately is something none of us want. In the text, we see people humbling themselves. They looked at God for mercy and determined to change their ways, causing God to cancel their plans of judgment, his plan of judgment over their lives. So I, I want you to consider for a second, just one second while you sit here this morning, okay? Is there a radical decision in your life that you can make that will change the way God sees your life? What action can you take this morning that would actually have a ripple effect in your life to the point where God will look at you and say, huh, I see you, I hear you. It's personal. It's, it's bold because 
God's primary desire is to show us compassion and forgiveness. Is that something you believe in? He's not aiming at you to fail so he can execute his judgment upon your life. There isn't this God up there waiting for you to mess up so he can strike you down. Ezekiel 18.23 says, Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. There is a God up in heaven cheering you on, wanting us to make the right moves, wanting us to take the right decisions in life. His ultimate desire is for everyone to turn away from their sinful ways and receive eternal life. And that only could be obtained through Jesus Christ. But we have somehow convinced ourselves that God is not for us because we're out of sync with his timing in one way or another. That he's somehow fighting against us because it just didn't work out like we thought it would. We're like an old style kitchen clock. Okay? When your battery starts to run out, you get delayed or you get ahead. And God is like the world clock. Okay, he's that clock everyone goes to to get their clock straightened out. I don't want to say God is the iPhone clock because that just doesn't feel right. But <laughs> David in the back laughing. <laughs> so, so, so we can't count him out and act like he's not working for our lives simply because things did not go according to plan or our plans. We're just a little out of sync in one way or another, and he is willing to get you there. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think to do. No, he is being patient for whose sake? Your sake. He's looking out for you. We're needing something. We're missing something. He's adding something. There is something in the works that for our sake, he's holding on. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. You will be destroyed if it comes too early, if it happens too soon. If the promise comes at the timing that you expected, maybe it'll ruin your life. I always use the shaving blade as the example for my son because I think something that will help him. So when I'm shaving, I put it away somewhere that he can't find it. Because I know that will be a tool that will be very useful for my son when he gets older in life. But if he gets it today, what happens? He can cut himself. You see how that works? It doesn't mean that the shaving blade isn't going to be a blessing to his life in the future. It's just that the timing isn't quite there. It is for our sake that these time frames happen and the way God operates. We all know this, but somehow we have missed it because sadly, our lives are being driven by something. There's an idea, a perception, there is a plan. You ask someone, what's your plan for your life? And they'll tell you what they all think they want and desire, okay? So all of us sitting in this room are being driven by something on a day-to-day -day basis. You say, I don't follow God. I don't want anything to do with that God. I don't believe in God. Well, guess what? You're being driven by something else, if not God. There is someone ruling. I always thought that the reason why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because of that VeggieTales movie. <laughs> because they were throwing fish at him, and the people were really, really mean, and he was going to get bullied, right? 
If you haven't seen the VeggieTale movie, you should watch it. Growing up, I thought, man, the people in Nineveh were really, really, really mean people. And they're bullies. And that's why Jonah didn't want to go. Because he was scared of them. And he didn't want to get beat up. But when we read the story, we find out that their motives behind Jonah's attitude were completely different. So from the outside, it looked like the biggest challenge the prophet was facing. Okay? But when we look and see what took place, it actually was one of the most successful speaking campaigns he probably ever had. Instantly, one statement, 120,000 salvations. I mean, you know, you know what I mean. So what was the problem here? What seemed to be the problem in this whole scenario? So if the people of Nineveh weren't mean people, if they were so receptive to the message of God, if they instantly heard and they said, okay, we'll comply. So VeggieTales had it wrong. <laughs> it's still, I mean, they get the idea, you know, it's still good. Um, we read verses 1 to, four, to 3 in chapter 4. It says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Remember, we just read chapter, verse 11, I think, of chapter 3, where revival in the land took place, and God said, you know what? I love what's going on here. Forget it. I'm not destroying these people. The prophet of God didn't like the change of plans. Who likes change in the room? Can I get an amen? Yeah. Hands all over the room, down. No. <laughs> so, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? So he's like, I mean, this is insubordination to the next level here. Okay? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Man, it's a little spoiled brat there moment, right? Like, I mean, wow. I mean, think about it. What would you have done? It's amazing. This is the prophet of God declaring that his God is full of mercy, full of love, compassionate, upset at the fact that his God had mercy on people. I mean, he forgot about the fish. Literally, he forgot. I was reading that commentators say that Jonah was expecting people to reject his message. That, that he, 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 they, you know, they were going to reject his message and that the outcome was going to be that they were going to suffer the consequences for rejecting that message. And it doesn't look like that was what Jonah was expecting. Because when we read here, it sounds like all along he knew what a merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, full of unfailing love God was. You know, to hear his reaction makes you question, like, that's the prophet? Like, that's the God, the guy God sent? Why would he be so angry? Well, he was, he was driven by different motives. He was driven by different motives, you know, causing him to, to be driven to a different purpose in life. 
This was not the call from God to Jonah. It, it ended up being some sort of turf war. He was mad and he didn't want to bring salvation to the enemy of Israel. He was afraid that by the Ninevites being left alive, they would continue to be Israel's enemy. And that was going to cause more harm than good. Therefore, he didn't want this to take place at all. Talk about the wrong intentions. I mean, every company I've ever worked for, insubordination was a fire offense. I mean, you were insubordinate, it's a big deal. You get into a lot of trouble, all right? And this might have been back in the days. Now, nowadays, I don't even know, you know? Things have gotten lighter, to say the least. So, you know, you see a guy question God and his decision-making almost as if he was more worried about the things of God than God was himself. You know, and it brings this picture to mind that it is possible for you and I to be doing the exact thing that God called us to do, but if our hearts are not in the right place, eventually what truly is in there will surface. I love it. I, I, I love that concept because it makes me worry less as a pastor. Because if your heart is not in the right place, I know it's only a time frame before that thing just keeps coming up and shows out. Like, I don't have to address it and ask you sneaky questions. I just, how are you doing? Good? Great to hear. And I know time and time will go by. And if our heart is not in the right place, eventually things will surface. Ecclesiastes 4.4 4 says, Then I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbor. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. That's just one example of having the wrong intentions. You know, Jonah's plan was that God's plan was not his top priority. He was driven with something, about something that was completely separate from what God was trying to do. He was more concerned. He thought he was more concerned about the people of Israel than God was himself. So we, we're committed believers to the success of our own Christian lives and even the success of our church. But we could be committed in doing those things outside of God's desires, purpose, and standards. That's shocking. We use the prophet of God as an example to teach us that there could be times in life where you are literally complying with God and what he's asking you to do. But if your heart is not in the right place, you're going to deviate at some point. Things are going to get out of hand at some point, okay? And we are so creative that we find ways to be miserable in the midst of a breakthrough. You ever met that person that things are going well, but they just find a way to tell you, yeah, but I mean, look at the gas prices, you know? It's just, we, we, we get creative. Jonah was so disappointed and emotionally overcome by the outcome of the Nineveh situation that he thought, it's better just for me to die. Man, what a drama queen. He felt betrayed by God. God, simply because God executed mercy and not judge a group of people. Man, this is not the case of why do, good thing, why do bad things happen to good people. This was the case of why do good things happen to bad people. And Jonah was having such a hard time understanding that, you know? And, and it, it's weird because nowadays people tend to, um, 
people are reluctant to show mercy because they don't understand the difference between trust and forgiveness. We're stuck sometimes with our bitterness because we don't understand the concept between trust and forgiveness, okay? Forgiveness is letting go of the past. Trust has to do with what? Future behavior. So forgiveness is expected instantly, okay? Whether the person asks for it or not, trust is something that is built over time. We as individuals have married those two and say, you can't have forgiveness if I can't trust you. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. Are you forgiven this morning? I believe that. Jonah was struggling with bitterness and forgiveness towards these people. And what we end up seeing here is that Jonah was having a hard time remembering the mercy and forgiveness that he had benefited from just a few chapters prior. He was simply being asked to give a little bit of what he was already given. Friends, you, when you experience true forgiveness from God, you realize that forgiveness was giving up a hope of a better past. Your past will never change. But forgive and you'll experience freedom. It's not about keeping scores, it's about losing count. It's amazing when things don't go the way we expect them to go. We quickly, very quickly turn on God. But what's most interesting about that is how he never turns on us. Is that he always stays faithful. He finds ways to, to give us some kind of center whenever you're losing it and you're going crazy. God has a way to bring you back to reality rather than rejecting Jonah by his bad attitude, lack of compassion, his wrong response. The loving God tries to convince him yet again with another miracle. It says on verse four, uh, verse four to verse 11, then the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about it? Then, then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Wow, amazing. And so, soon it, it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, sh shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. So it was like kind of like, oh, okay, God, thank you. I see you. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But then God, man, whew. he knows, you know, he knows how to get at us, you know, sometimes and how to prove the point, right? In a good way, as Crystal was saying, sometimes there's a little, these little obstacles that he throws at us like these nuggets. Um, it said, but God also arranged for a warm. The next morning at dawn, the warm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away as the sun grew hot. God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah, so the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die again. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, even angry enough to die, he said. <laughs> this guy's doubling down, isn't he? <laughs> then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in it in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. 
Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Man, is it right for us to be angry at God? I love this expression because God is trying to bring Jonah back to this place of dependability. In other words, who are you to question me? I tell you guys all the time, I tell you guys on Friday, guys, this is not a democracy. We're in a kingdom. And there's a king. I know you think your opinion is strong. Yes, your vote counts. But this, this is not where we're at. This is a kingdom. And we follow a king. God was more concerned about Jonah than Jonah was concerned about himself. God was more concerned about the people of Israel than Jonah thought he was concerned about. He was more concerned about other nations like the Ninevites more than Jonah had ever considered. He is trying to give Jonah this 10,000 foot view. So he, he would react. Is it right for you to be mad at something you didn't even create, Jonah? Yes. So much so that I would rather die. It's like, what is wrong with this guy? You know, one of the sad stories about this book is the book ends there. You know, we think the story ends when he ends up coming out of the belly of the fish and preaching to the people. No, the book ends with that question. We never know where that conversation went after that. We don't know if Jonah's in heaven still bitter in a corner somewhere. I don't think that's the case, but you know what I mean. But, you know... We know the people of Nineveh did a 180-degree turn, right? And, and they, they, they really changed things radically in their lives. But, but Jonah cared more about his own comfort and preference than he did about God's desire for the spiritual lost people. You know? And people still ask me why I drive 30 or 40 minutes to church. You know? So what, what drives your life? Every one of us here in this room is being driven by something. That verb drive is to guide, to control, to direct. Is your life being driven by problems, pleasure, success, deadlines, painful memories, fears? Nothing matters more in life than to be driven by the purpose God has for your life. You will find true fulfillment in blindly following God. There's three benefits to that. It gives meaning to your life. It's the why to your what. Because when life has meaning, you could bear almost anything. But when it doesn't, life is unbearable. Without God, life is, there's no purpose in life. Without purpose, there's no meaning. Isaiah 49.4 said, I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my strength for nothing and to no purpose. The greatest tragedy of life is not death, but life without purpose. It also will simplify your life. It will define what you do and don't do. People who are not driven by God's purpose try to do too much, and it causes them stress, fatigue, conflict in life. You have enough time in life to do what God has called you to do. 
I can make that statement. You may not have enough time to get everything you want to accomplish, but you do have enough time to accomplish what God has called you to do. Proverbs 13, 7 says, a pretentious, showy life is an empty life. A plain and simple life is a full life. If you don't have enough time to get it all done, God never intended for you to do it in the first place. It's that simple. <laughs> it's not going to make your life less important. It's going to make your life more focused. All right? It's going to make your life more focused. And ultimately, and most importantly, and I'll leave you with this, guys, it, it will prepare you for eternity. Jonah said, I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predict it will not happen. And ultimately, what matters most will not be what others say about you, but what God ultimately says about you. The achievements, guys, they eventually get surpassed. Records get broken. Reputation fades away. Tributes are forgotten. Goal. You weren't put here on earth to be remembered. When you face God... In eternity, you're going to be asked two questions. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And what did you do with what I gave you? So my question to you this morning is, are you ready to answer that? What would you say? What did you do with my son, Jesus? And what did you do with what I gave you? Hmm. You know, you feel let down because at times God's purpose and plans may not include keeping you happy, healthy, whole. Well, guess what? It's hard to swallow, but God is looking for broken, humble people. And sadly, those attributes don't come into life without challenges, troubles, suffering. Man, guys, winters are usually longer in the north. That's my Dr. Phil statement for you this morning. <laughs> it's going to be harder for some than others. It's going to be more difficult in some scenarios. There's going to be people around you who are going to be in a better position than you are. It's going to be colder and more difficult for you at times, but that's just the way it plays out. Would you still consider blindly following him? Or is this the mountain where it all ends today? This is where we die. Is our life, does our life end with one question from God? Like, really? Is it your place to feel this way? And you're just sitting there pouting with your arms crossed. Because life just didn't go the way you expected it to go. Bow your heads and pray. I just want to very quickly, as you got your, 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 your heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give you the opportunity to reflect on your life and acknowledge God for who he is. This is not going to take long. We're almost done here. But I want to give you the opportunity. If you never received the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ, I know there's a lot of visitors in the room, I want you to just look up to me if you wish to do so this morning. Life is futile without a God-driven purpose. I see you. You know, 
maybe you're sitting here today and you're, you're pouting a little bit, saying, God, I'm, I just don't understand everything that's going on. But you know that you've kind of turned away from your ways of following God and done things incorrectly a little bit. And you want to say, God, please help me. I want to reconnect with you. I want to, I want to find a way to re-engage with your plan and what you have in store. Look at me. I want to pray for you this morning. See that hand up. All of us go through life in one sense or another and struggle with different areas of our life. So as we pray today, would you just allow God to be God over your life? Hey, the insubordination stops now, right? We got an almighty God who's leading this kingdom. and We're followers of it. And we're going to call what we're, we're going to do what we're called to do in this instant as we pray this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for that life that's decided, Lord, to make a new relationship with you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would do mighty things through that life, God, that you would touch his life and allow him to see the hope and the joy that only you can provide, God. Lord, as, as people in the room reconcile with you and, and, and kind of once again come full circle to say, God, maybe I just drifted away from what you've called me to do, but yet here I am, God. I want to make you my Lord, my God, my Savior. Turn my life over to you, God, so that you would take care of it, that you would guide it. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. We want to give you the praise and the glory with the way we live, not just with our words, God. So would you guide us and give us hope to understand, God, that our story does not end here? that this is only the beginning of something amazing that you have in store for us, that this is yet again another step to eternity, God, with you. Lord, we want to honor you with our lives, and I pray that you would convict the room of your purpose and your goals and your timing and what you have in store, not our preferences. Thank you, God, for being God, for being our King for being all-knowing, for being powerful, God. Because it takes us out of the equation, God. We love you, Lord, and we thank you, and we give you praise. Amen.